Good morning. We are looking at a couple words this morning, rejection and rebellion. Now, in rebellion, you are often going against something or someone. In rebellion, you are, it can be a good thing, right? If it's against an, an injustice or if it's against um, someone's welfare, that they're being hurt and you are rebelling against an entity or someone who is putting power over others in a very unjust way. But rebellion can also be against the one who has created us all. And sometimes I think we forget how much we rebel almost to the point of rejection. Now the ultimate rejection from God only comes when our ultimate rebellion exists when we say we don't believe in Jesus. And in that point, he does reject us. We don't like to hear that, but in the story today, we see how God rejects when we forget who he is. Let's listen to the story. One day, Samuel went to Saul with instructions from God. The Malachites attacked my people when I brought them out of Egypt. Therefore, go to battle with them and destroy everything. Kill all the people and all of their livestock. Don't leave anything alive. So Saul took his army and attacked the Amalekites. He defeated them, but didn't kill everything. Saul's men kept the best of the livestock for themselves. They also captured King Agog and didn't kill him. The Lord said to Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king over Israel. He doesn't follow me. He doesn't do as I say. Samuel grieved in his spirit and prayed all night. The next morning, he went and found Saul. As the prophet walked up, the king said, The Lord bless you. I've done what God asked me to do. Samuel looked at him. Then why do I hear the sounds of sheep and cattle? Oh, the men saved the best livestock so we could sacrifice them to the Lord. But we destroyed the rest. Samuel said, Stop talking. I tell you what God thinks of what you've done. When you were humble, God made you the leader over his people. He then gave you a job to do. He said, Go kill this extremely sinful people. Don't let any person or animal live. Why did you make him angry by not doing what he said? Saul said, I did obey him. I killed everyone except Agog, their king. And then I killed all the animals except these few. We kept the best for sacrifice. Samuel said, Do you think the Lord wants sacrifice more than obedience? No. To obey is better than sacrifice. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is, a, is as bad as worshiping idols. You rejected God's command. Therefore, he's rejected you as king over Israel. Saul said, I've sinned. I can now see clearly that I ignored the Lord's command and didn't listen to you. I was afraid of the people and obeyed them rather than God. Please forgive my sin. Come, let's worship the Lord together. Samuel turned away. No, I won't go with you. You rejected the Lord. Now he's rejecting you as king. Saul grabbed Samuel's robe and it tore as he turned away. Samuel stopped and looked at the rip. He said, The Lord has ripped you the kingdom of Israel away from you today. He's given it to your neighbor, who's better than you. God isn't like men. He won't change his mind. 
Saul yelled. I've sinned. All I ask is that you honor me in front of the people. Come, worship with me. So Samuel went with him and allowed him to bow down before the Lord. The prophet then said, Bring me a god, king of the Amalekites. A god came before Samuel, not knowing what to expect. Samuel took a sword and said, You've made many women childless. Now your mother will be childless. Then the prophet killed Agog and cut him into pieces. Then Samuel returned to his home. He never again visited Saul as long as he lived. Still, he grieved over him constantly. So the story is found in 1 Samuel today. And if you want to open up your Bibles, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. That's where the bulk of the message will be coming from. The verse that struck out to me as I began the um, planning for this message was verse 13. It said, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I've carried out the Lord's command. As I thought about this verse and thought about the situation that Saul was in, this statement came to mind. When you reject the truth, it, it often involves being fake. When you reject the truth, it often involves being fake. Just let that rest a second. The story shows that Saul greets Samuel as if nothing is wrong. But then later in the story, we hear him repent and say, I've sinned, I didn't do what the Lord said, I did as my friends or my soldiers wanted me to. And there's two ways of looking at this. Either Saul knew this revelation at this point in time, or he came to that revelation after Samuel pushed and pressed. I tend to think that Saul knew when Samuel came up because he didn't go look for Samuel and go, hey, Samuel, we had this great victory and I did exactly what the Lord said, what the Lord told me last night. Samuel had to go out and look for him. And there's this hard word, finally found him. Almost as if, and this isn't in scripture, but almost as if he was hiding. <clears throat> kind of makes you think back to Adam and Eve when they sinned. And the Lord had to go find them in the garden. Saul's response is like, hey buddy, what's up? How are you doing? This is a great day. Let's just forget about what I didn't do. It's a lie that we've often told ourselves, I think. I think we can jump into this, into the, the shoes of Saul. When we rebel, even if we think we might have done the right thing, we just kind of say, hey, God, just bless what I did. I know it wasn't what you asked me to do, but just bless it because... I just couldn't do that other thing. So he decides to be fake with Samuel. 
if you think about this, I wonder how many relationships you've had in your life where you've seen this occur. And maybe instead of being in Saul's shoes, you step into Samuel's. You have a friend. She's dated this guy on and off for a long time. He hasn't been very good to her. He doesn't really honor her. He's cheated on her several times. They break up. You know the story, right? They break up. Then he gets to be a little nice to her, buys her a gift, does something, and she thinks, well, maybe he's changed. I think he's changed. And they date again, right? I mean, you guys, how many of you have kind of had this story with one of your friends? Surprising, isn't it? It's like the human condition. And so she finally breaks up with him. And she tells you, this is really it. This is it. I'm done with him. And then she goes out, and on Facebook she puts out that she's single, everything's awesome. You hear her friends say how she's told them she is done with him. And you just happen to go to a restaurant, maybe with your spouse or with your girlfriend or boyfriend, and lo and behold, there they are sitting and having dinner. She doesn't see you, but you see her. And just an hour before this, she was saying how she's so excited to be single. So you decide you go talk to her. And immediately she pushes up and says, oh, but we weren't dating or anything. We we're just hanging out. It wasn't a date. I just sometimes like enjoy his company. We're friends. We're just friends. And you go, okay. So your response may be a little bit like Samuel's. Samuel said in verse 14, then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats the lowing of cattle I hear. I mean, Saul had a direct order. Invitation, request from the Lord. This is what you must do. And it was hard. I mean, come on, let's get into that. That was a hard command. You kill everything. In our society today, we'd say, well, that's a little extreme. But God said it wasn't. You kill everything. So Samuel just says, so why are you at a restaurant with your girlfriend? Or your boyfriend? It might be more like if you're in this situation I was talking about. So I saw you with your boyfriend last night and you were very close. Your friend and Saul have two options. At this moment, they can stop being fake and just tell the truth. Or they can cover up and justify it so that the truth won't be exposed so that they don't have to feel like they're doing anything wrong. And they continue to move through 
of fakeness. Saul responded this way. He kind of adjusted, and he says this. Just think about this. In the example I shared, you have other examples of friends, right? Surely you have other examples of when you've talked to someone, and they've totally said they're doing this, but in reality, they're doing this. Saul says, it's true. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle. That's why you hear them bleeding or, and all that other stuff. I, won't, I should know this. I grew up on a farm. But that's, you know, all the sounds that the animals make. The mooing, right? That's why you hear it. But they are going to sacrifice, or they're going to get on that to the Lord your God. That's for you, Win. We have destroyed everything else. We've destroyed everything else. But we're going to get about that sacrifice thing. We'll do it eventually. Don't worry. Everything will be dead. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. So again, your friend may say, well, we weren't on a date or anything, and he had a problem, and I felt like I should at least listen to his problem, and, and that was all I was doing. I was just ministering to him. So I've actually seen this response many times, because who ever wants to tell the pastor the truth? Right? I mean, who does? Sometimes I don't want to tell myself the truth. You just don't want to do it. Uh, there was a time, my first year of ministry, at being a pastor. Sarah's parents had come in from out of town, and we were excited to show them the metropolis of Katy, Texas. And we went all the way to have lunch close to Memorial City. Woohoo! We're close, right? We drove all that way because we love this restaurant called Papados. How many of you guys like Papados? I like Papados. We love their crawfish bisque. The whole purpose of going to this restaurant to get the crawfish bisque. It wasn't, it was just, I think it might have been a Friday, it might have been Saturday. I'm not sure what day of the week it was, but it was around noon-ish. I think it's Friday. I think it's pretty much during the week. I don't know how we, Sarah must not have been working. Something was going on or she took the time off, something. But we went to this restaurant for this purpose. I mean, we're in Houston, right? We come in, we sit down, we're eating. Crawfish biscuits ordered. I'm just thinking about crawfish bisque. It's a lovely day. My in-laws that I'm just getting to know really well, right? They're here too. We're eating, and I look over, because I'm a people watcher. Any people watchers? I love people watching. Sometimes it gets me in trouble. Sometimes my face says exactly what I'm thinking. But I was looking around, and there I saw it. I'm not really meaning you guys. I was sitting there looking, and there was one of the guys who we would say is, quote-unquote, a leader at the church I was serving. He was having lunch, and he was sitting 
here, you know, there's tables. And there's a woman sitting here. And they look pretty close. So I, I was like, oh, that's... And then I looked closer because I knew his wife. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, that's not his wife. So then it's like, well, sometimes I get things wrong. So, hey, Sarah, look over there. Not, not right now. <laughs> but look over there. I think that's so-and-so. And I don't think that's his wife, right? And she looks over there, and she goes, uh, no, and you need to look right now. I was like, oh. So I looked again, and she's got her hand. Is this too graphic? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it loses its effect if I don't show you the whole thing. That's really what was going on. So I had to tell myself, don't stare. <laughs> I thought, oh, no. Oh, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to do this. <laughs> do I, am I supposed to, like, what am I supposed to do here? Am I supposed to go over there right now and go, you're in sin? There's bleeding goats right here. <laughs> or am I just supposed to just ignore and eat my crawfish bisque? Well, in this time, my lovely, lovely father-in-law, Wayne, he's a people watcher. Many of you know him. He's a lovely man. He is. He is a, he's a good man. He loves his children, and he's included me as one of those. He goes like this. And his back was turned to this couple, and I was like, stop it, Wayne, stop it. So <clears throat> I went back to the, we didn't, I didn't confront him. I was not confident enough. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. We pretty much started our lunch. And then when I looked back, they were gone. And I was kind of like, well, that's the Lord just saying, I don't need to. But then I went back to the church and um, I sat down with one of the leaders there. And I just said, you know, this is what occurred what do you want me to do? And you know when you ask that question, you're like, you know what they want you to do. But I asked it. I thought maybe they'd say, oh, well, you know, you don't need to handle this. But no, of course, you need to go meet with them, tell them what you saw, blah, 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 right? So I called him, and he tried to avoid me. He didn't return calls, but I was persistent and said, I really need to talk to you. And he finally relented and said, you can come to my office. So I pulled into that parking lot, and that was one of the hardest things I had to do is get out of my car. Because I didn't want to do this. I was like, this is the most crap job you could ever get. You have to go talk to someone about some woman that you don't know touching your thigh. Who wants to do that? I didn't want to do it. But I, I prayed and I said, Lord, just give me your words and give me the strength to go do this and hopefully this will be a good thing. Well, I wish I could tell you that it was a great thing. It wasn't. 
but I did follow through. And he went through the whole process like, oh, well, she's just my friend. And I thought, are, we ser are you seriously going to make me say her hand was really close? <laughs> are you making me say this? And he did. So I said it. And I probably, I didn't do the whole thing that I did for you all. <laughs> so that's because I wasn't as comfortable then. So he went, he finally just said, well, you just don't understand. You just don't understand. And I said, well, what happens now is between you and the Lord and your wife because I can't do anything more. But I hope that you know that the Lord is there and he will receive, if you want to repent, your repentance. And if this is just a moment for you to get a red flag that there might be something wrong in your marriage, I hope you received it. Well, he didn't talk to me again, but that's all right. Because Saul did a similar response to Samuel. He said, but I did obey the Lord. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle and plundered to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. People in or people who are in rebellion will try to explain something away to reject the truth. And it's nice, I can make a statement like that because we can say, well, people, because we all rather be in Samuel's shoes than Saul's shoes. But the reality of this statement is we. We, when we are in rebellion, we try to explain it away. And we reject the truth. That's what we do. It's what Adam and Eve did. It's what Abraham did. It's what Sarah did. Just go down story after story after story. That's what we do. We like to explain it away. You know, and I've seen... A lot in about 15 years. Jesus saw a lot more in a lot shorter time. And he often would see that people would look at him and as he confronted them, they would reject it. They would come up with their own justification of why it wasn't wrong or why he was wrong. And they would continue to push against him. But he also told us that when we reject him, this is Jesus, when he said, when you reject me, you reject the one who sent me. When you reject what I say, you reject me. And when you reject me, the Father rejects you. And that's hard. Because many of us do not want to jump into that truth. Because many of us are so set on seeking the approval of others, ambition for ourselves, or something that we want that our appetite does not want to surrender. 
that we often rebel against the very words of Jesus. It kind of looks like this. I'm confronted with the truth of Jesus. He says, be generous. So I say, I am. In fact, I'm going to start giving as soon as that debt is paid off or as soon as my boss gives me a raise, or as soon as I get rid of that car, or as soon as my house is paid, or as soon as, right? We, we don't like to hear this because we like to live in, and I would say in the fakeness that, oh, pretty much Jesus, you know, Jesus and I, he's my homie. And everything's good. I don't reject what he says. I'm all good. Jesus is a great teacher. How many of you, you know, right? You like to live there. Come on. I like to live there. It makes life feel good, right? You don't have to confront anything. You just go, oh, everything's great. You're confronted with the truth. Be patient with one another. You're like, well, I am patient with all the people that don't annoy me. <laughs> I'm patient. I'm very loving. And, you know, if they weren't so annoying, they would receive that love. <laughs> we don't want to be confronted that Jesus says, no, really, you only love and show my love when you love your enemy. You only really are patient when the most annoying person in your life and you say, come spend the day with me. At least in my mind, that's patience. You're confronted with the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. These are the exact words of Jesus. And how many of us can sit down with someone who doesn't believe in Jesus? has another faith. And we just start to water down Jesus. Well, as long as we believe in God. You believe in God, right? Or a higher being or this or that. It's okay. Those are hard words because Jesus doesn't say it's okay. And we don't like that in our society because in our society, if you say something's wrong, then somehow you're negative. But this is what Jesus said. I'm the only right way. I am the only truth. That's hard. It's hard when you love somebody and they don't believe in Jesus. Right? It's hard when you work with someone and they don't believe in Jesus. It's hard when someone's dying and they don't believe in Jesus. And you are then placed in the shoes of a pastor who's only supposed to say the words of Jesus. Jesus says this, So why do you keep calling me Lord Lord, when you don't do what I say. 
following Jesus is not easy. I didn't make this a slide, but we can all say it. Following Jesus is not easy. I mean, you guys thought this was going to be a really funny message until I got here, right? But this is the thing, right? He calls and invites us into a life that is filled with him, which means it's filled with his love, it's filled with his forgiveness, it's filled with his ways, his words, his works. When we rebel, we reject those things. And the thing about it is just because I have faith in Jesus doesn't mean I've stopped my rebellion. He just happens to say, Aaron, even in your rebellion, I love you. And at the same time, he says, if you actually believe who I am, you'll start doing what I say. Because you'll realize all these things that are true, you don't have to fear. You're confronted with the truth about being generous, you don't have to fear about being generous because he's a great provider. You're confronted with the truth that he's the only way, so you best start telling people who he is especially those he's placed in your life. Because when we don't repent and we stay in our rebellion, when we don't believe who he is, there is a rejection. This is the fire and brimstone sermon that sometimes we don't like to hear. But there is no hope outside of Jesus. There is no hope. And it is the worst position as a pastor to step in front of a casket or stand and do a memorial service when there is no testimony, no word that this person ever believed in Jesus. It's hard. Because I can't definitively say there was Jesus. Second Timothy 4, verses 3 and, th 3 and 4 says this, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires. Sound familiar? And will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Well, you get me. There you go. You don't have to worry about that. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. You probably know someone, I know I know people who have absolutely heard the words of Jesus and said, I'm out of here. Unless you change this thing that Jesus said, I'm not going to be here. That's what we do, right? When we confront something in Scripture that we don't like, we stop and we go, well, if that can be out of here, then I'll stay. But that's not what Jesus says. This happens in the small things. We've talked about being generous. So you get a raise at work, right? 
get a raise at work, and you go, I should give something back to the Lord. But then a whole bunch of things come into your mind about what you should do before you make that donation. I've been there. I'll tell you that sometimes it is the worst feeling when you look at your bank account and you go, oh, look at this. We got some money. And then you remember, oh, we didn't tithe. And you go, oh, shoot. And you have to write out that check and you go, oh. And then you have to go through the whole process of remember you're supposed to be giving joyfully. <laughs> Don't give out of compulsion. And you all have been in different seasons. Sometimes you're without a job. Sometimes you're in a new job. Sometimes your family member is sick. There are a whole bunch of things in the small things that this can occur where the words of Jesus start to diminish and you begin to incorporate your own teaching of that, well, he doesn't really mean that. Or he said it for those people, but not our people today. This can be the same thing when a friend starts a new relationship and they start to get intimate and you go, hey, get married first. Honor her and honor him. But you go, no, that's just silly. We love each other and we're going to get engaged pretty soon anyways. He said he kind of wants to marry me, so it'll be fine. We do that. Why do we do that? Because we have a fear that we may be alone. We have a fear that this... This certain person is the only person that will ever love you. And we compromise. And we change the teaching of, of God, of his word, into something that will fit into what I'm already doing. But the thing that I found out is that oftentimes when I read the word of God is that it's not so much that it's already showing me what I'm doing, but it's showing me what I'm not doing. Showing me how far I am from who God wants me to be. The invitation is not that he pats me on the back and goes, oh, Aaron, you sure got it, buddy. You've got everything under control. It's instead, I'm just turn that over to me, Aaron, because you don't really know. Refocus on what I say so that you can hear me and hear my voice. So the question for you today what is, the Lord is ask, what is the Lord asking and inviting you into believing about him? Forget the grammar. That was bad grammar. Just listen to me. What is the Lord inviting you into believing about him? Because I do honestly know this as a fact that you cannot do what the Lord wants you to do until you believe who the Lord is. You just won't do it. 
If you can't believe who he is and who he says he is, if you can't believe that Jesus really, really does love you deeper than anyone or any relationship you've ever experienced in your life or will experience, it's very difficult to do the things he asks us to do as his followers. So when you are confronted that, oh man, I'm, I have a hard time following him. His invitation is, believe in me. It's not, well, you should do it. It's return and believe in who I say I am. James says it this way, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then the writer in Hebrews says, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day. Whew, isn't that good? We cross that over sometimes. We're more like, warn me when everything goes down the toilet. Then warn me. But his word to us is warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. So what did I do wrong as a first-year pastor? My confidence was not in the Lord as we sat at the restaurant. I should have gotten up and just walked over there and said, howdy doody. Hey, I was just from Nebraska. Come on. Howdy doody. <laughs> but I did not because I was fearful. I was fearful that the one I was representing wasn't more powerful than this guy's opinion of me. That's what it was. I was fearful of this guy who I went to one Promise Keepers event with. Some of you guys know what Promise Keepers was. Isn't it ironic? <laughs> so I went to one Promise Keepers event with this guy, which is all about being faithful in your marriage. And I was fearful that this guy would have a bad opinion of me. I was fearful that what I saw, I really didn't see. Or maybe I saw it wrong. Warn each other every day. Why do we warn each other every day? So that we get used to it. We remember that we're sinners and we need a savior. It's not to push people down. It's what we're supposed to do. Warn each other every day. In America, that doesn't feel good. But it is what it says. For if we're faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people that Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, 
whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. When you hear his voice, God's voice, may your heart be able to receive it. And that's whether Wynn comes to me and says, hey, buddy, that was a little harsh. Or if Abel comes to me and says, uh, dude, I saw you at a restaurant. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if that happens, a whole slew of people, I'm going to be in big trouble. Um, may a friend remind you when you forget who God is. When you're full of shame and you're thinking, well, God won't forgive me for this, may a friend come up and say, no, remember who he is. He's a faithful, loving God who forgives. Not my words, God's words. He is faithful and just. Remember those words. When you're caught in disobedience, may you quickly repent and receive his forgiveness and believe he's the only one that can forgive. He's the only one that can make it right. And when you doubt, may someone pray that you would have faith to believe. We all doubt. We are all doubters. That's what we do. We are rebellious doubters who disobey God. So we need each other to remind us that he is a faithful father who loves us. Even in our disobedience. As we pray today, ask the Lord to soften your heart in the areas that you're rebelling against the Lord. Ask him to pour into your soul faith that you may believe who he is and how he is. Ask him to help you believe that you are really forgiven because Jesus died and rose again for you. And ask him to help you lay down your rebellion and raise up your white flag. That this will no longer be your life. Because living with him and doing what he says is a much better way. This morning we will have elders in various places. They want to pray for you. And it may be something that you are rebelling against and you want to confess it. You can make that confession and it will be held. It means that it will only be heard by that person that you come to for that confession. They will forgive you in the name of Christ. And I'm going to be praying the whole time that you actually receive it. And then you can let go of that rebellion. There may be other things. I know I've talked to a few of you as you're walking in. You've got a lot of stuff going on. You've got family members who are struggling. You've got sickness in your family. You've got friends. We can pray for those things too. May we hear his voice today. And may our hearts not be hardened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to go through this story of Saul and Samuel. I thank you that we're able to step into the shoes of Saul in his rebellion. 
I pray that we'd also be able to step into the shoes of Samuel, where we recognize rebellion. I pray that as you would speak into us, that you give us courage, courage to repent when we're rebellious, and courage to warn when we see rebellion. Lord, help us not seek the approval of relationships or fear the the friendship that we don't want to dissolve. Help us to speak to one another and put grace in it. If we're the one rebelling, Lord, may we hear the person warning us and give them grace as they warn us because they won't do it perfectly. And Lord, if we are the one that is warning, may we give grace to the one who's rebelling because you first gave us grace. May we give that to those that we warn. Lord, help us to live as a family who loves one another, who can speak freely to one another, who learns to live with you as a center. In your name we pray, amen.